Hello, and welcome to Warhammer 40K's Grim History from Beyond. I'm Zekthar. And I'm Yuxin. And we are the chroniclers of all that was, and all that will be in the 41st millennium. We have seen the rise and fall of many empires, yet this month we will be speaking of those crazy human space vikings known as the Space Wolves. Outstanding, Zekthar. They are one of my favorite units of space marines. Those strange humans who were altered by gene seeds and also the sons of Liam and Russ. Right you are, Yuxin. Well, let's get into it. If I may, dear brother, can I take the intro on this particular week? After all, they are my favorite type of space marines. <laughs> Very well, Yuxin. Go ahead and tell the folks over the Vox what we will be discussing while I pour us some fine Fenrid mean. Thank you, Zekthar. Ah, this is some fine mead. Indeed. Well, to get on with it, I think we should start with the story of Lehman Russ. An excellent idea, brother. But I have one question. Should these be the tales of before he met the Emperor of Humanity or after? Hmm. Well, that is quite the question. We could fill many a podcast with both sides of his life. Hmm. You know, since I get to start our box with my interest in chronicling, how about you solve this riddle? Well, due to time constraints, let's start with when he meets the Emperor. Very well. Let me start with one of my favorite stories of Lehman Russ before he was a space marine. Now, Zekthar, before we get started on how they actually met, we have to go back a ways. As you know, brother, the Emperor of Man was busy trying to create 20 superhumans we know today as the Primarchs. Each one of these humans were gifted with godlike strength, speed, and endurance, yet each had their own unique powers that stood out from the rest. Unfortunately, disaster struck. To put it bluntly, Zekthar, the warp swallowed up the 20 Primarchs before they could hatch and spat them out into the Milky Way, much to the chagrin of the Emperor. Instead of starting all over again, the Emperor took the raw genetic information and created soldiers that we have come to know as Space Marines. This was the first founding with the original 20 Legions. These mighty warriors paled in comparison to the Primarchs, but they were giants among men. Pooching them all into ships, the Emperor hummed to himself as he went about conquering the galaxy with his great army. While this was the primary reason for his actions, he also had a secondary goal, to find the Lost Primarchs, which leads us to Lehman Russ. Lehman Russ crash-landed on a cold and frigid planet named Fenris, Originally raised by wolves and then taken in by the tribe known as Russ, he learned the skills of humanity quickly under the tutelage of the tribe's king, Venger. He came to realize he was more man than wolf, but far superior to both. When the old king died, there was only one clear person to take up the mantle of king. Soon after taking the crown, Lehman set about pulling all the tribes of Fenris under his rule. It wasn't long before every man, woman, and child bent the knee to Lehman. And that is how he became the Wolf King, ruler of Fenris. His feats and deeds traveled far and wide until they reached the Emperor on Holy Terra, 
Taking to his ships, he flew through the stars to find his long-lost son. The emperor, disguised in a long, plain robe and cloaked in psychic ruins of disguise, entered the long hall of rest. Those few natives that were sharp-eyed and sober, as well as the great Fenrisian wolves, shrunk from this new powerful presence. The emperor had known well that proud Russ would never bow to his rule without being beaten in a contest. The emperor was convinced of his own power and knew that such a challenge would be as nothing to him. The strange wanderer approached the wolf throne and its gargantuan occupant and stood firm, staring hard at where Russ was presiding over the feast. It was then that the stranger offered his challenge. The nature of the contest was for the Wolf King to decide. If the stranger won, he asked for nothing but to be allowed to drink at the right hand of Rest during the feast. Rest demanded that should the wanderer fail, he would serve at the king's behest for a year. Grimly, the stranger accepted. Rest challenged the emperor to a series of tests. The Wolf King did not wish to spoil a good feast, so his first challenge was to an eating competition. The stranger ate well indeed, consuming many times more than the stoutest warriors present without pause. But when he looked up from his plate, Russ had already consumed three entire aurochs. The emperor had lost the first challenge, but the king was enjoying his sport. He realized that the brown cloaked traveler had the spirit of a friend regime. And so he challenged that lender to a drinking bout. But by the time the wanderer had reached his sixth barrel of strong Fenrisian mead, there was no more to drink. The Wolf King had drained the entire feast dry. Once again, the Emperor had lost. The light of anger appeared in the wanderer's eye. Angered by his failures, the Emperor retorted that Lehman Rest was nothing more than a drunkard and a glutton. Able to achieve nothing more in his life other than stuff in his face and bellowing hollow boasts. The Wolf King calmly laid down his consequences of his last challenge, and his court backed away as one. The court grew silent, daring not even to breathe, as Rest drew his great sword from its scabbard and stepped onto the long banqueting table. For the third challenge, Rest boasted he could defeat the Emperor in combat. The Emperor threw away his cloak, the hood falling from his face, his true form, Revealed, he stood far taller than any man present, swathed in light and clad in Baroque golden power armor. Uh, pardon me, Yuxin. That seems pretty unfair. Power armor increases one's speed as well as strength. Yes, I wholeheartedly agree with you, brother, but that's the emperor for you. If you aren't winning, cheat. Even still, it took a while for the emperor to defeat Russ felling him with a mighty blow from his power glove. When Lehman came back to consciousness within the hour, he admitted his defeat, and with a bloodied smile and a broken fang, he swore fealty to his true father, the Emperor of Mankind. And that is how Lehman Russ met the Emperor and became the second Primarch to be found, the leader of the Sixth Legion of Space Marines, known as the Space Wolves. Now, wasn't that an interesting story? What are your thoughts on it, dear brother? Honestly, I think it shows more of Russ's character than it does the Emperor's. I okay, 
nukes and we can we will be talking about the emperor about every time anyways that we bring up any space marine because obviously we're going to be talking about the primarchs but <clears throat> me personally i'm not a big fan of the emperor i'm i'm in the camp anyways uh that you were anyways with zarek <laughs> he's kind of a bumbling leader in my opinion i know you don't know as much about him as i do but every time, anyways, that he tends to pop up, he just kind of, he's this arrogant prick. <laughs> pardon, pardon my French. But uh, uh, I don't know. What are your thoughts on it? Well, I, I agree with you. And the funny thing is, even though he has claims that he's, you know, so powerful, he decided to go with, using power armor and a power glove which is used to increase the person's strength phenomenally i know it, it, it he cheated <laughs> plain and simple i mean well and even if he, he didn't have he a as good because that thing slows how fast you're able to move mm -hmm. uh so in other words basically what he's wearing the power armor for for was basically to tank himself so that when he finally actually hit the guy, he'd be able to knock him. Right. But, I mean, well, here's the other thing, too. I mean, you show up with power armor, and the other guy's just got a regular sword. Power armor is, like, some of the strongest stuff you can find. I mean, he could he could have just sat there and let Lehman Russ wail on him anyways until, you know, the cows came home, and it wouldn't have done anything because he's just using a regular sword. Like I said, it was cheating. But but you know what? Uh, now, Yuxin, we could we could continue talking about the emperor. But I wish to hear the story you have told me countless times, and I have to admit, it is one of my favorites. What story would that be, brother? <laughs> the story of the wolf and the lion, the duel that started the strange rivalry between the space wolves and the dark angels. All right, on the world of Dulon. The Space Wolves and Dark Angels were fighting against the forces of the tyrant Duroth. During this, Duroth insulted Russ, calling him the Emperor's lapdog, and that he would feed, he would be fed to his pet groks. Uh, Obviously, pardon me. this enraged Russ. Pardon me, Yuxin. What is a groks? A groks is basically a vicious animal that apparently is. Great as livestock, but can tear you apart limb from limb. You know, as being, <laughs> as is pretty much everything else in this, in this Milky Way. Yeah. It just hates life. <laughs> it's but, delicious oh, oh, oh. so long as it doesn't tear you into a million pieces. Wait okay. a minute. Is, is this, is this what you're talking, is, is this what I've heard anyways? This, uh, the, the Grox burger. That's made yeah, out of this? buns, Yeah. Oh, okay, yeah, that's good eating. <laughs> yeah. Sorry to interrupt. Uh, carry on. Okay. So, obviously, though, this enraged Russ, and he swore to remove Duras' head from his shoulders. He demanded that the Dark Angels allow him and his Space Wolves to immediately assault the tyrant's Crimson Fortress. Leon L. Johnson, who had been spending days finding weak points in the fortress and meticulously planning the attack, refused the hot-headed barbarian's demand, for surely he would mess things up. 
and began the assault and storming the fortress with few casualties. Being bogged down in combat at the base of the fortress, Fress could only howl in anger as he saw Johnson himself slay Durath. After the battle, Russ stormed into the hall of the fortress and punched L. Johnson in the head, starting an impromptu wrestling match between the two Primarchs. Both being equally matched, Russ being the stronger while L. Johnson being the faster, they wrestled for a day and a night before breaking apart. Seeing how ridiculous and immature this situation was, Russ started laughing. Johnson, on the other hand, was not amused and feeling that Russ's first punch was treacherous, struck Russ unconscious. Now feeling his honor had, honor had been satisfied, he left and took his space marines and departed to fight in the Alasor campaign. By the time Russ regained consciousness, L. Johnson and his Dark Angels were already gone. To this day, the rivalry between Space Wolves and Dark Angels is so strong that each time these chapters meet, each selects a champion to fight in a non-lethal match in order that honor shall be satisfied. Now, Zekthar, I know this is one of your favorite stories, as well as one of my own. <laughs> but what are your feelings on such a trivial bit of history yet has grown into legend? Honestly, I think this is kind of an interesting... Uh, um, it builds kind of an interesting relationship with, with L. Johnson and Russ. Uh, they, they're, they're brothers and they, they have a very combative relationship, but when the metal meets the meat anyways, they're always going to side against whatever's against them. They'll fight one another as you've seen anyways, tooth and claw, but they will, uh, <clears throat> if something comes between them anyways, they'll beat the crap out of whatever's there. Now, the, to me anyways, this is almost like Arth Arthurian. You know what I mean? No. Uh, like like the tales of uh, Terran 42, Knights of the Round Table. Uh. That very kind of like it. Could, these guys could have existed, but it's slowly kind of built into this giant legend that we know today. Um, that's kind of what happened here, except for they actually have pretty historical documents on how it was. Now, it's interesting, depending on which uh, chapter you're talking about, they have different accounts of what happened. But the one thing we do know is, like you said, the wolf and the lion ended up fighting for about a day. Leon Russ started laughing about the fertility of it all. And then Leon Johnson punched him in the face, <laughs> knocking him out, and then took off. But depending on who you're talking about anyways, they have a different aspect of why they were fighting. And more importantly anyways, who really got the upper hand throughout the whole thing? Obviously, the Space Wolves think, you know, well, Lehman Russ, anyways, he just kind of gave up. As opposed to the 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 Dark Angels, who were just kind of like, well, he find Leon Johnson finally found the upper hand. And and if he hadn't been, you know, if it hadn't been Lehman Russ, he probably would have killed him, you know, kind of thing. But to me, anyways, I find it just very interesting that they still hold this to today. Now, you mentioned, by the way, non-lethal match. <laughs> it gets touch and go sometimes. It's normally, anyways, to first blood if I recall right, right? Uh, I believe so. Yeah. And sometimes, uh, how, how, how shall I put this? Uh, spirits get 
real pumped and and sometimes it goes a little past that uh but normally it's supposed to be a non-lethal match but we will find out later and i think you're you're going to document about this anyways where they actually stood side by side correct um yes but aren't you getting a little have yourself i, think um, you I am i am uh, my apologies but we first have to if we're going to talk about that we have to talk about what i'm going to talk about next uh which has to do with the thousand suns now, now, brother, I have a dark chapter to tell of this particular hero's life. He was bamboozled into the slaying of his brother's space marines and the destruction of Prospero. Now, as you know, Euxin, the space wolves have a deep hatred and distrust of sorcery. Led by the Primarch Magnus the Red, were known for their sorcery. It didn't take long before their differences of opinion led to blows. In the Ark Reach cluster campaign, the two legions were assigned to fight side by side, and all seemed well, until victory. Magnus argued valiantly that the brutal extermination of the people of the Ark Reach was wrong, while Lehman, known as the Emperor's Executioner, said they were given a choice, stand with the Emperor or die, and they had chosen poorly. This bickering went back and forth until it came to a head at the Battle of Phoenix Crag. Soon tensions flared, and several of the Space Wolves charged the Thousand Suns. The warriors of the 15th Legion utilized their deadly psychic abilities and slew several Fenrisian wolves, as well as disabling the bodies of the space wolves themselves. As the skirmish began, disaster struck. One of the thousand sons named Hester overexerted his psychic powers and began to flesh change. This means that the chaotic warp began to take over his body and mutate Hester horribly. Seeing this caused panic, in the ranks of the Thousand Suns, and soon others began to fall prey to the flesh change. A surging wave of power erupted as Magnus the Red came forth and stepped towards the hideously transformed Hestur, who seemed to reach out to Magnus as though to embrace him, and the Primarch opened his arms to receive him in forgiveness and mercy. Suddenly, a thunderous bang sounded, and Hestur's body exploded as a single explosive round detonated within his chest. Silence ascended, as a heavy tink sound of monstrous expended brass casing struck the ground. It was the Wolf King himself who had ended Hestur's suffering. Shocked by the display, it took a third Primarch, Logar Arulian, to step between the two and calm the situation down. Still enraged, Rush drew his blade and swore a blood oath that he and Magnus had a reckoning, and it would come soon. Not long after this, the Thousand Sons came under investigation by many chapters, worried that their sorcery would soon turn them to the Chaos Gods. Seeing his empire start to fracture under this debate, the Emperor called together all the Primarchs, as well as the leaders of men, to a planet named Nakia. The council was held to determine the fate of sorcery within the empire, and after much deliberation, the Emperor decreed that sorcery would be outlawed from this day forth other than himself, of course, and a few uh, select few. This should have settled it, except Magnus the Red and his thousand sons continued to practice in secret, still honing their abilities away from the Emperor's watchful gaze. This leads us to the Horus heresy. Magnus the Red discovered Horus's betrayal and wished to tell the Emperor post-haste. Instead of sending his fastest ships or a Vox, he sent a psychonic message through the galaxy to contact the Emperor directly. Unfortunately, this ruptured the palace's considerable psychic defenses and killed thousands of people whose minds were unable to handle Magnus's potent psychic call. 
The emperor refused to believe his favorite son, Horus, would betray him and thought it must be Magnus who wished to betray him. How he came to this conclusion baffles me quite a bit, I must admit. But regardless, the emperor truly believed that Magnus had turned to the gods of chaos and sent a message to Lehman Russ and the space wolves to go to Prospero, seize the wayward Praemark, and return him to Holy Terra. Russ never got these orders. Instead, the Emperor's transmission was intercepted by Horus, who changed the order to <clears throat> kill everyone. They are traitors to the Empire and have fallen to chaos. While enraged by the apparent betrayal, Lehman did issue one message of surrender to the world Prospero. It was received by one of the Thousand Sons named Caspar Hosser, though the Great Wolf did not realize Caspar had already fallen to the corruption of chaos. The message never made it to Magnus. Enraged by being spurned yet again, the executioner of the emperor began to bombard the planet and then invaded the planet personally to deal with Magnus. His blood oath would be fulfilled on this day. They dueled as the capital city of Tizca was ravaged by war. In the duel, Magnus used sorcery to make himself stronger so he could survive the mighty blows of the great wolf raining down on him. A red rage filled Lehman's heart seeing such trickery and deceit on the field of battle. Moving with lightning speed, he scooped up Magnus, raising him over his head, and then slammed him down onto his knee, breaking the Primarch's back. Summoning a warp rift, after calling out to aid to the chaos god Zinch, the changer of ways, Magnus and his surviving thousand sons then escaped into the warp, where they would swear vengeance upon the emperor and the imperium that had treated them so unjustly and brought down the pyramids of Fable Tisca. Now, brother, I know this leads into the Battle of Alexis Nebula, but I wish to know, how do you think this calamity could have been stopped? And more importantly, if it had been stopped, what do you think would have happened to the Thousand Sons? Well, first off, I think one of the ways that could have been stopped is by not using a psychic <laughs> way of sending a message after, you know, Zemper said, no, <laughs> you aren't supposed to use psychic powers. I mean, let, let's face it, Magnus did everything that he could have done wrong, he did wrong. <laughs> yes, exactly. I'm just saying but, if he happened to do one thing right, what do you think would have happened? <laughs> um, well, it's a little bit hard to say what would have happened concerning the Thousand Suns since, as uh, they mentioned, even... Casper Hosser, one of the Thousand Sons, had already become corrupted. And since they were actually still practicing sorcery, the chances of more and more of them becoming corrupted would have been much greater over time. And yet, for the fact they were practicing it, they were still going against what the Emperor uh, declared. Right. So, so you think at just some nothing... point they would have been either disciplined or they would have fallen to chaos is right. my guess. But but here's here's kind of the question of timing there though. If he had if like I said, let's just give an example. So like for instance, instead of sending the message the way that he did, he sent a vox <laughs> and it happened to get to the emperor, right? So the emperor goes, hmm, this is weird. This doesn't make any sense. So then he, you know. Instead, anyways, he ends up working with Magnus. So your time period, anyways, of them changing anyways to help out Zinch, uh, the chaos god of change, gets delayed significantly, probably past the Horus heresy. So how do you think that would have changed everything in that situation? 
it, 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 mind you, this is a butterfly effect. We obviously know what happened, but I just kind of yeah. wanted your two cents on it. And first off, he would have to be able to prove because, you know, he had more faith in Horace than he did <laughs> in Magnus. So got a good point there. he would have accepted it anyways. <laughs> so the emperor's like, how do you know this? Uh, <laughs> uh, I, I got a hunch. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's about as good as he's going to get. <laughs> Like, wait, did you do that that I did tell you to? No. <laughs> uh, those are thoughts, brother. But I believe we must press on to the Battle of Alexis Nebula. Correct? All right. So this story I find most interesting due to having an interesting twist to it. Ooh. Following the raising of Prospero, Russ commanded his legion to muster within the Alexis Nebula. Unfortunately, Horus was ready for this and deployed the 20th Legion, also known as the Alpha Legion, to launch a massive attack on the battered and outnumbered Space Wolves. The Alpha Legion and its twin Primarchs, Alpharius and Omegon, harbored a deep grudge against Russ and his Space Wolves for their criticism on how the, their Legion fought. For in comparison to open combat, which was the honorable way to fight in the Space Wolves' minds. They won battles by relying on trickery, manipulation, and subterfuge. It was no wonder that the Alpha Legion relished the chance to prove their superiority and stick it to the arrogant Wolves of Fenris. Their hope was to delay the Sons of Res long enough to prevent them from contributing to the Imperial defense of Terra. Upon the wolves being assaulted, Russ sent a distress signal to the nearby White Scars, requesting reinforcements to combat the Alpha Legion. The Primarch of the White Scars, Zagatai Khan, who had received, been receiving conflicting and often contradictory astropathic messages, had come to the decision of not acting until he knew beyond a shadow of a doubt who was friend and who was foe. This meant much to the dismay of Russ. They wouldn't receive any assistance from the White Scars. Now, now pardon the interruption, but now looking back, brother, this does not seem prudent. Yet I think it was probably wise at the time. It seems like he was kind of caught like a rock in a hard place. He just didn't know who to believe. Am I correct yeah. with that? Yeah. yeah. I would rather personally, yeah. if I had no idea, I would probably do exactly what he did and say, no, I'm going to stay stay back until I, I know who's the right person that I should be helping out here. Right. It, I, I must mention, though, that he does eventually figure out who's who, and he does end up siding with the emperor. Sorry, carry on. Yeah. Rest demoralized by the hopeless situation and still regretting the dis the destruction of Prospero, isolated himself in his personal chambers, forcing his first captain, Gunnar Gunhild, aboard the battleship Ragnarok to assume command in his absence. While ruminating upon the role of the emperor had forced upon him, Russ received counsel from a young pack leader in the Third Great Company, 
had risen and much esteemed since Prospero. This pack leader, known as Bjorn the One-Handed. Ooh, are you going to tell us about Bjorn? Not till next week, brother. Oh, all right. Carry on. Anyways, he helped his Primarch come to terms with his past as the Emperor's executioner, realizing it had done nothing but bring ruin upon the Space Wolves. As this was happening, Gunhild led the fleet in a desperate breakout attempt. He became reinvigorated as his Primarch reemerged and basically sacrificed himself and his crew to slow the Alpha Legion's advance, which unfortunately still caught the limping fleet. During the ensuing battle, a large contingent of cataphracti terminators of Larnian teleported aboard the bridge of Russ's flagship, where the Wolf King seemingly battled Alpharius, disguised as one of his own terminators. Despite the Alpha Legion being on the verge of victory, it was snatched away as, much to the surprise of all forces involved, a large Dark Angels fleet led by a mobile starfort. With these new forces, the wolves were able to force the Alpha Legion to withdraw. How did they? How did this occur, you may ask? How? This fleet was actually sent out to conquer worlds and establish outposts 59 years before the outbreak of the Horus Heresy by the regent of Caliban, Luther. This fleet, hidden within the Alexis Nebula, originally unaware of the galaxy-wide rebellion, started to receive fractures of information, none of which gave a clear view of loyalist or traitor. Upon hearing the distress signals from the wolves, Captain Ormond infiltrated the Wolf King's flagship in order to determine if they were loyal to the Emperor. His duplicity was discovered by room priest Kava, who brought him before Russ. Seeing the Space Wolves valiantly battle the treacherous Alpha Legion, Ormond determined the Sixth Legion was still loyal and informed his commander of their intent. They then intervened on the Wolves' behalf and helped rout the traitor fleet. What do you think of Russ's self-thought here? This is a strange place in the Primarch's life where he questions all that he knows from the burning of Prospero to the one legion he never thought would help him out. Only because they were acting in loyalty to the person he is questioning. One must wonder what Bjorn told him. Your thoughts? Wow, that's, that's quite a few questions. Um, first, before I answer, like we were saying before, or like I said before, when the metal meets the meat, the dark angels and the space wolves are kind of thick as thieves, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, they'll help each other out when it's needed. <laughs> yeah. Thick as thieves is a little strong. Oh, okay. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. To me, this is an interesting point in Russ's life because he's, he, he, at this point anyway, says, I think realized that he's been bamboozled. Or at the very least, anyways, he, he's thinking, anyways, what he did at Prospero was wrong. Which is interesting, because up until this, there's been nothing but blind loyalty to the Emperor from Russ, right? Right. So he's sitting there, and he's getting bombarded, he's been left out to dry, he's just like, where did everything go wrong? The only thing I think that Bjorn told him was just simply, you know, honor and duty. 
something that simple. Just, you know, your your honor is at stake here. If you just sit here and whine and and, and let all of your, you know, your sons die, there's no honor in that. And your duty is to the empire of man. It's not just the emperor. It's the empire of man. And I think this actually really helped Russ anyways change his, his thought process on what to do. I don't know. What and do you think? Your acts actions would be say that again and how his future acts actions would be correct and how he uh chose to use the space wolves correct now mind you anyways at this point anyways they if i recall right after this point the space wolves instead of just being straight up yes sir no sir russ actually gains a little insight from this and they actually kind of are uh from this point on, the Space Wolves are a little bit more, um, I want to say, distanced from the Empire. I mean, when, uh, what's his name, Robert Gilliman this decreed after the whole Harris, Horace, or Horace, Horace Heresy, not Heresy Horace, Horace Heresy anyways, that all the, all the companies need to be broken up into thousand man units. Russ just kind of looked at him and said, no, we're afraid well, we're going to stick to together. Fair, he did it once. What? He did do it once. There was, um, oh, what were they called? Oh, the Wolfen. You're talking about the second founding of the yeah, Space Wolves? They go only to did that well. once, and then that's it. Yeah, well, it also, because of, what was it, the Canis Lupus? That's one of the, in particular, parts of the gene seed, anyways, that have to do with the Space Wolves. Didn't do too terribly well, anyways. On the second founding, they actually slowly started to corrupt them into like these giant, like wolf things, right? Right. Which they were, if I recall right, healed later on and became actually kind of a second founding. They're still kind of no. out in the out in the dark, a little bit. They ended up disappearing, I believe. Yeah, but if I recall right, Ragnar actually ends up finding a company of them and returns them to the fold. But that's that's here or there. That that's 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 a that's like way past Lehman Russ. That's a ways out there. Anyways, now brother, why don't you tell the story of the Spear of Russ? That is one of my favorites. Uh, I unfortunately don't think we have the time for two more stories, and we must end this with the disappearance of Lehman Russ and the start of the Great Hunt. That's too bad. Wait, I have an idea. Why don't you send out a separate box, much like you did with Trezine in the 13th Black Crusade? That is an excellent idea, Euxin. Very well, folks. Be on the lookout this week for a short box about the Spear of Russ. Yet I must continue to tell of the strange disappearance of the Great Wolf, and let us start with a quote from the Emperor's Executioner himself. Listen but closely, brothers. For my life's breath is all but spent. There shall come a time, far from now, when our chapter itself is dying. Even as I am now dying, and our foes shall gather to destroy us. Then, my children, I shall listen for your call in whatever realm of death holds me. And come I shall, no matter what the laws of life and death forbid. At the end I will be there for the final battle, for the wolf time. 
These are the last recorded words of Lehman Russ before he disappeared. Nobody knows what happened to Lehman Russ. We do. Shh. We can't talk about that. <clears throat> Anyways, what we do know is about two centuries after the emperor was placed upon the golden throne, Russ was in his grand hall on Fenris feasting with his brothers. On this occasion, Lehman Russ quieted the great hall of his warriors to speak, but then froze in place as his eyes glazed over, as if seeing a vision. The assembled space wolves looked on in horror as their primarch fell to his knees and called for his wolf guard, the closest retainers to attend him, all save the youngest, Bjorn the fell-handed. Hold on. I thought we decided I was to talk about him next week. Yes, you shall. He's just part of this story. He's just oh, there. Okay. Sorry. My apologies. Carry on. Okay. Taking his guard, they boarded a ship and disappeared into the Milky Way, never to be seen again. Every standard year after the, his disappearance, Russ's place was laid at the same feast. Every year, his drinking horn was filled should he return. For seven long, painful years, the Space Wolves waited patiently for their lost Wolf King to return to them. When he failed to do so, Bjorn was elected the new Great Wolf and led the chapter on their first great hunt to search for Russ. Mustering the Space Wolves, they spread out across the stars, hoping to find Lehman Russ. Alas, they found nothing. In a desperate attempt to find the great man, Bjorn himself flew into the Eye of Terror, only to be thwarted by the agents of chaos. It was here that Bjorn was mortally wounded and placed into a sarcophagus of a dreadnought. After this blow, the wolves were called back to Fenris, saddened by the failure in their quest. The second great hunt led to the recovery of Russ's armor from the Temple of Horus on the world of Rudra, on the edge of the Eye of Terror. The fourth great hunt uncovered the Corillian conspiracy and foiled its efforts to overthrow the administratum in a bloody coup. The ninth great hunt led to the destruction of the gene-stealer-infested worlds of the Gehenna system. Over the various great hunts in the millennia since, many glorious victories have been won. Each hunt beginning when Russ speaks through visions into the minds of the chapter's rune priests, granting his sons his wisdom from time to time and sending them on new quests. None have succeeded in the final goal of recovering their gene father, but Russ has assured his sons with his final words that he will return to them in time for the final battle of the Imperium against the forces of chaos, a period he calls the wolf time. Why did he disappear? Some say it was to find his friend, uh, Lionel Johnson. Others say he went into the Eye of Terror to find the Tree of Life so he can revive his fallen father, the Emperor. I can't tell you why, but one wonders if his arrival will be soon and what the wolf time will mean for the Empire of Man. Unfortunately, that is all the time we have for today. Very well. Join us next time when we talk about notable characters of the Space Wolves. Agreed. And don't forget to send your questions about the Space Wolves at www.asharaka.com. Yes, Sri Bob. Until next time, this is Yuxin and Zekthar signing off.